Well, I wonder if you turn to Mark chapter 5 in your Bibles. So starting at verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed round him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned round in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went to where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Very good morning to you all. It's great to see you all. For those of you who don't know, my name's Dav and... I'm one of the leaders of the church and the minister of the church, and I'll be preaching God's word this morning. So as a church, we're hearing preaching from a book in the Bible called Mark, the second book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and we've reached chapter 5, verses 21 to 43, Jesus against death and disease. So it's Mark chapter 5, verses 21 to 43. Jesus against death and disease. Now, Mark chapter 5 is one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. Because in Mark chapter 5, we see Jesus taking on the three greatest enemies that the human race has. Demons, death, and disease. Demons, which is evil, 
There's so much evil in the world, isn't there? That is such an enemy against the human race. And death, that is something we're all going to have to face one day. And disease. You can't get three greater enemies than that, can you? Demons, death, and disease. And Jesus takes on the three of them in this chapter headlong, doesn't he? They're no match against Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God. Now, last week, Luke helped us to look at Jesus against the demons. And this morning, we're looking at Jesus against death and disease. So let us read verses 21 to 24 to begin with. Well, the first part of verse 24. What do we read there? When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. That's quite heavy, isn't it? Jairus saw something that parents should never see. Jairus experienced one of the worst experiences that a parent could ever go through. Jairus was seeing his little daughter dying. I can't think of anything worse, seeing one of my children dying. Can you? That's about as bad as it gets, isn't it? Can you imagine how Jairus was feeling? Now, we don't know much about Jairus' daughter, do we? We know that she was 12 years old, and Luke's gospel tells us that too. Luke chapter 8, verse 41. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. Do we know the name of Jairus' daughter, his 12-year-old daughter? Well, we probably don't, but Jesus did say to her, Talitha kum. That's what we read, isn't it, in Mark chapter 5, verse 41. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, in Aramaic, little girl, I say to you, get up. Now, Talitha is a name, isn't it? There was a famous actress, wasn't it, called Talitha Getty. Do you remember her? I think she died in maybe the 70s, didn't she, of like a heroin overdose. I think she was very famous in the 60s. And I really love the name Talitha. Do you like the name Talitha? It's maybe a little bit unusual. It probably wouldn't have gone down well in sort of South Wales. I really wanted Lydia to be called Talitha, but I, I kind of lost the vote, really. And I was like... It'll just confuse everyone. Our family will think we've gone mad. We can't call our little girl Talitha. Oh, but it's such a lovely, sweet, cute little name, isn't it? I love the name Talitha. But it probably wasn't the name 
of Jairus' daughter. But it could have been. It could have been. Why was she dying? Well, we don't know. It could have been a long illness. It could have been something sudden. If we use our imagination a little bit, maybe one morning, maybe Jairus is there preparing the breakfast and his little 12-year-old daughter is still in bed and maybe he calls up, Talitha, cool, isn't it? Talitha, get up. No sound. And he says, Talitha, cool, no sound goes up the stairs, and he says, Talitha, cool. He opens the door, and he sees his daughter lying there in the bed, and something doesn't look right. Maybe the color of her skin isn't right. Maybe he can see a cold sweat on her, and he runs over, Talitha, Talitha, cool. And maybe he shakes her, and he says, cool, get up, and there's no movement. And he can see that she's breathing. She's struggling to breathe. He sees that her heartbeat is irregular. And he sees, my daughter's dying. Her heartbeat isn't strong. She's struggling to breathe. She's got a cold sweat. The color of her skin isn't right. And what does he cry out? Talitha Coombe. He must have cried it out so many times. Come on, get up, my little girl. Arise, wake up. There's nothing he could do. And his whole world comes crashing down. His one and only daughter, maybe the apple of his eye, is dying in front of his eyes. What do you do? What would you do when your whole world comes crashing down? And I'm thinking, no doubt, you've probably had an experience when you've probably felt as if your whole world has come crashing down. What do you do when that happens? Well, what did Jairus do when his world came crashing down? When he could see right in front of his eyes, his little girl, his only daughter, 12 years old, was dying. What did Jairus do? Well, I've got five brief points What do we read in verse 22 to the first part of verse 24? Five brief points. What did Jairus do when his whole world came crashing down? One of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came. And when he saw Jesus, that's the first thing he did. He came to Jesus and he looked to Jesus. First and foremost, when our world is crashing down, we go to Jesus, and we look to him. We trust in him. And you might be thinking, what on earth does that mean? What does it mean to go to Jesus? What does it mean to come to Jesus and look to Jesus? Where do I find Jesus? Well, we find Jesus in the world bestseller, the Bible. It's so easy for us to get our hands on the Bible. Jesus walks out and meets us from every page of this book. He wants to meet us. First and foremost, we meet Jesus in the Bible. He speaks to us. And the Bible tells us that we can meet Jesus here. The Bible tells us that Jesus is present when his people gather together 
to worship. Jesus says that he walks among his churches. Do you know that Jesus is here this morning? Maybe you don't believe it. Maybe you don't feel it. But Jesus is here. He's really here by his spirit. It's not quite something. If you think about it too much, actually, it's hard to cope, isn't it? Jesus, the eternal son of God, is here in Binfield Free Church this morning. He doesn't live in the building. No, he lives among his people. He lives in the heart of his people. If you want to meet with Jesus, go to his church. Secondly, what did Jairus do? He came, he saw Jesus, and he fell at his feet. And he pleaded earnestly with him. He humbled himself before Jesus. He fell on his knees. He maybe fell on his face in front of Jesus. And that's what we're to do. We're to humble ourselves before Jesus, the Son of God. And thirdly, he pleaded with him earnestly. What does it mean to be earnest? What does it mean to sort of plead earnestly with Jesus? Well, it's to pray like you mean it, isn't it? Maybe so often our prayers sound as if we don't actually mean what we're saying. Maybe we're just mumbling. It's so half-hearted. Jesus wants us to pray to him earnestly like we mean it. Jairus is a lesson for us on how to pray. We come to Jesus, we look to Jesus, we humble ourselves before him, and we plead with him earnestly. And then fourthly, we have faith. What did Jairus say? My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. Jairus had faith, didn't he? And that's something I've been particularly challenged with recently. Do we have faith when we pray? Do we really believe? Do we really believe that Jesus can work? Do we really believe that Jesus can change? Jairus did, didn't he? He says, all you have to do is come with me, Jesus. All you have to do is just put your hand on her, and no doubt she will live. No doubt you will heal her. And what does Jesus do when we do those things? What does Jesus do when we come to him, when we look to him? What does Jesus do when we humble ourselves before him? What does Jesus do when we plead with him earnestly? What does Jesus do when we trust him with all our heart? I love the first part of verse 24. Can you see that? So, Jesus went with him. Isn't that incredible? When we trust in Jesus with all our heart, he goes with us. Not only does Jesus go with us, he goes before us, he's behind us, he's all around us, and he's inside us. He never leaves us or forsakes us. When we come to Jesus with faith, when we humble ourselves before him, when we plead with him earnestly, and trust in him with all our heart. He's with us and never leaves us. He goes with us. So what happened next? 
We're sort of on the edge of our seats, aren't we? What happens next? I know we kind of know the story. What do we read then in the second half of verse 24 through to verse 26 to begin with? A large crowd followed and pressed around him, pressed around Jesus. And a woman was there who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and then spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. What must life have been like for this poor woman who'd been bleeding for 12 years? Well, I've got four brief points here. And Leviticus helps us with the first point. Leviticus which is a book in the Old Testament. You've got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. So the third book of the Bible gives us some indication of what life must have been like for this woman who'd been bleeding for 12 years. What do we read in Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11? For the life of the flesh is in the blood. The life is in the blood. So what was life like for this woman who'd been bleeding for 12 years? Well, life was literally flowing out of her body. Her life was slipping away. And many people feel like this. Maybe you haven't been bleeding for 12 years, but you sometimes feel, I just feel as if my life is just slipping out of me. I just feel lifeless. This woman was dying just like Jairus' daughter. And there are many uh, similarities between this woman who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years and Jairus and his daughter. There is a possible connection there. One commentator said, look at the connection. How old was Jairus' daughter? 12. How long had this woman been bleeding? Twelve years. Now, we don't know for certain, but one commentator sort of said, this woman probably gave birth to a little girl 12 years ago, and she'd been bleeding for 12 years since then. That's quite a thought, isn't it? I know it's not explicitly there in the Bible, but that sort of gets your mind thinking. Was Jairus the husband of this woman who'd been bleeding for 12 years? Was Talitha her little girl? Well, we don't know, do we? But Leviticus tells us more about what life must have been like for this woman who'd been bleeding for 12 years. What do we read in Leviticus chapter 15, verses 25 to 28? When a woman has a discharge of blood for many days at a time other than her monthly period, or has a discharge that continues beyond her period, she will be unclean as long as she has the discharge, just as in the days of her period. Any bed she lies on while her discharge continues will be unclean, as is her bed during her monthly period. And anything she sits on will be unclean, as during her period. Anyone who touches them will be unclean. They must wash their clothes and bathe with water. 
and they will be unclean till evening. When she is cleansed from her discharge, she must count off seven days, and after that, she will be ceremonially clean. Now, this woman had a discharge of blood that had lasted a lot longer than many days. It was 12 years. 12 years. And according to the law of Moses, she would have been unclean for 12 years. No one had touched her for 12 years. Maybe the little girl that she gave birth to 12 years ago, she wasn't able to touch a little girl for 12 years. She wasn't able to touch a husband for 12 years. No one had touched her for 12 years. She wouldn't have been able to go out in public. She wouldn't have been able to go to the temple. She wouldn't have been able to go to the synagogue. And that's what my second point is. She lived a life of loneliness and isolation. Are there people in our society who feel like this this morning? Maybe they haven't been bleeding for 12 years, but they feel lonely and isolated. And what do we read in verse 26? Of Mark chapter 5. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. And that's my third point. She was poor. She'd spent all she had. She had no money to buy new clothes, no money to buy food, no money to buy anything nice for herself. Could you imagine the misery she was going through? She was poor. And there are lots of people who are suffering in poverty today. And my fourth point is that she'd had her hopes dashed, hadn't she? She'd gone to see the latest doctor and she maybe built up her hopes. She said, oh, I've been bleeding for years now. Maybe this doctor can help me. I'll give him as much money as I can. But there was nothing the doctor could do. The only thing the doctor could do was actually make her even worse. Could you imagine how many times over those 12 years she'd built her hopes up? Oh, there's a new doctor in town. Maybe he can help me. But no, she just got worse. And I think many people feel like that today. They build up their hopes, don't they? But then their hopes get dashed and they feel hopeless. And when people suffer, they look for hope in all the wrong places, I find. Do you find that? When you feel that a situation is hopeless, when you are suffering and you think there's no hope, where do you go? Some people try drink, some people try drugs, some people try retail therapy, don't they? I'll just buy some nice things, I'll buy some nice food and nice clothes. I'll go on a holiday. Maybe that'll make me feel better. Or maybe I'll try the latest philosophy, the latest fad on the best way to live. People try loads and loads of different things to find just a little bit of hope. But very often, those things just make things worse, don't they? Her hopes had been dashed many times, but her hope wasn't gone. Why? because she heard about Jesus. And I love that in verse 7. When she heard about 
Jesus. And that's what people need in hopeless situations. They need to hear about Jesus, the hope of the world, isn't it? But how are people going to hear about Jesus? How had this woman who'd been bleeding for 12 years heard about Jesus? Someone must have spoken to her. Someone must have told her, Mary, or whatever her name was, I know you're suffering. I know you've been bleeding for 12 years. I know that you've been let down by lots of doctors. I know you've had your hopes dashed many times. But I think there is hope. Have you heard of Jesus? Have you heard of Jesus? You need to go to him. He can heal you. He can change your life. So how are people in hopeless situations going to hear about Jesus? We need to tell them. And we know so many people in hopeless situations who are lonely, who are isolated, who are poor, who feel as if their life is flowing out to them. We need to give them hope. We need to tell them about Jesus. And what did the woman do when it seemed that all hope had gone? And what should we do when it seems as if all hope has gone? What did she do? What do we read in verse 27 in particular? Well, she heard about Jesus, and no doubt she listened when she heard about Jesus. So what we need to do, we need to listen to the voice of Jesus. We need to listen to people speaking to us about Jesus. We need to go to his word and listen out for Jesus' voice. And secondly, she came to Jesus, just like Jairus, isn't it? As we read in verse 27, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him. She came to Jesus. And then thirdly, she had faith. She had incredible faith, didn't she? What did she say in verse 28? If I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. What did Jairus say? Well, if you touch my daughter, she will be healed. This woman said, Jesus doesn't even need to touch me. All I need to do is touch his clothes, and I will be healed. There was no doubt. There was no wavering there, was there? The faith that she had. This unclean woman knew that if she touched even the clothes of the purest the most perfect man, the perfect man, then she would be healed. If we reach out in faith to the pure man, the perfect man, Jesus, then we'll be made whole. And what happened next? What do we read in verse 29 of Mark chapter 5? Immediately. And that's a word that appears so often in Mark's gospel immediately, suddenly. It's such a fast-paced gospel, isn't it? It's not boring at all, isn't it? It's taking you from one situation to another. Countless miracles. Dynamic, exciting teaching. Immediately, her bleeding stopped. And she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. So as soon as we put our faith in Jesus, 
we have our sins forgiven. As soon as we believe that he died for us on that cross, as soon as we believe that he rose again for us to give us new life, as soon as we repent of our sins and believe, as soon as we trust in him, believing that he is God who died and rose for us, our sins are forgiven. We have eternal life and we come into a relationship with God. Then what we read in verses 30 to 34. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking. Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Did Jesus not know who touched him? I can't. I can't possibly imagine that he didn't actually know. Because Jesus knows everything, doesn't he? He knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows how many hairs are on our head. He knows us inside out, Jesus. Of course he knew who touched him. So what's going on here then? Why was he asking the question, who touched me? I think he wanted the woman who'd been bleeding for 12 years to confess Jesus publicly. He said, no, no, you can't be secret about this. If you've reached out to me in faith, then you've got to go public. You've got to go public. He wants us to confess him publicly. And he wants us to tell him the whole truth, isn't it? He wants us to pour out our hearts and just tell me everything. Tell me everything you've done. Tell me everything that's on your mind and on your heart. And there is great joy and freedom in confessing Jesus publicly. I reached out to Jesus in faith in 1994 for the first time. That's when I truly believed that Jesus died for me and rose for me. I repented and believed in 1994. But I'm ashamed to say I didn't confess him publicly or not as much as I should have between 1994 and 2003. And in 2003... I was baptized, and I invited as many of my friends and work colleagues and family members to come. And the church was quite full. Lots of my friends came. Lots of my family members came. And the joy and the relief I felt after that. Lots of people were surprised. I I didn't even know you were religious. I said, oh, no, no, I'm, I'm getting baptized, and I'd love you to be there. I'd love you to hear the story of what Jesus has done for me and what he means to me. And I'm sure many of you who have been baptized where you've had to confess Jesus' name publicly will know the joy and the peace and the relief you feel after that, doesn't it? The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And that is really what happens in baptism. But what happens next In this story, what do we read in verse 35? 
of Mark chapter 5. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter's dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Now, Jairus, hears the worst news any parent could ever possibly hear. Your child is dead. And it seems as if they didn't have a lot of tact, did they, 2,000 years ago in the Middle East? Surely you should have said, oh, Jairus, do you want to come over here for a bit? I've, I've got something to tell you about Talitha. You, you might want to sit down. No, he says, your daughter's dead. <laughs> Why bother the teacher anymore? It's like, oh, come on, isn't it? But lots of people sort of say that, don't they? Why bother with Jesus? The situation is hopeless. Have you heard someone say that to you? Maybe you've told someone who's suffering. You've told someone who's lonely and isolated. You've told someone who's suffering. You've told someone who feels as if their life is slipping away. Look, you need to come and meet with Jesus. You need to hear about Jesus. Why bother with Jesus? The situation is hopeless. Why bother with Jesus? Yes, bother Jesus, because he's an expert at dealing with hopeless situations. He's an expert with dealing with humanly impossible situations, isn't he? What do we read in verse 36? Overhearing what they said, Jesus said to him, don't be afraid, just believe. Can you sort of imagine the situation? Jairus has just been told, your daughter's dead. I don't know what you do. I'd probably sort of throw up or something, or I'd just fall to the floor in a heap. Maybe that's what happened to Jairus. He might have just thrown up, and he's just lying there on the floor, wailing. And maybe Jesus sort of picks him up, holds his face, looks him in the eye, and says, don't be afraid now, Jairus. Just believe. You were trusting in me earlier. Keep trusting, isn't it? Do you feel sometimes that's what Jesus needs to do with you? He just needs to pick you up and look you in the eye and say, come on now, don't give up, keep trusting. Don't look to the world, don't look at your feelings, don't look at the impossible situation, don't look at the despair, look to me, trust in me. We need to trust in Jesus in the hardest times and the darkest times. Because that's where hope is found. Hope is found nowhere else, only in Jesus. And then what do we read in verses 37 to 40? He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, (laughs) he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. It's almost as if Jesus can't bear to be even in the same room as people 
who have doubt and who mock, isn't it? He's saying, look, all you, get out. If you're just going to laugh at me, if you're going to doubt, if you're going to mock, I want you out of this room. I just want the mother, the father, James, John, and Peter. These are people who I know, who are trusting, who are believing. It's like I can't even have people in the same room, isn't it? It's so displeasing to God, isn't it? Doubt and unbelief. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. We read in Hebrews 11, 6, isn't it? And then, what do we read in verses 41 to 43? Jesus walks into this room of death. Because she really was dead. Because sleep is just a name given to Christians who have died, isn't it? When my heart stops beating, when I stop breathing, it's really people say, well, Dav's just gone to sleep. His soul, his spirit has gone to be with Jesus. And his body's just sleeping. It'll get woken up again one day when Jesus returns at the resurrection. What do we read in verses 41 to 43? He took her by the hand and said, Talitha kum. Maybe the same words that Jairus was desperately saying, Talitha kum, little girl, wake up. My little girl, wake up. When Jesus speaks those words, something happens immediately. Those words immediately again. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. Again, making note of that 12 years old, isn't it? And I wonder if this family was reunited then. Just like the man who was demon-possessed by those 6,000 demons. What did Jesus tell him? Go home to your family and tell them what Jesus has done. And Jesus is in the business of saving families, isn't he? Restoring families. And I wonder, we can't be 100% sure. I wonder if this woman who'd been bleeding for 12 years was Jairus' wife. And I wonder if Talitha was the daughter of the woman who'd been bleeding for 12 years. This little family, the three of them, are reunited again by Jesus. But we don't know. What we do know is that immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She's 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give us something to eat. Is that where the story ends? Is that why Jesus came? To give us a little bit of a longer life on this earth, here and now? Is that why Jesus came? Well, the story is that Jairus died, didn't he? We're not told in the Bible how he died, but he's obviously dead. The woman who'd been bleeding for 12 years died. Talitha, the little girl, she died. Everyone dies, or do they? Or do they? When you stop breathing one day, when your heart stops beating one day, are you going to die, or are you just going to fall asleep? I know for me, I'm just going to fall asleep. (laughs) I'm going to be buried in the ground, and I'm going to be risen one day. 
because that's the hope that the Christian has, eternal life with Jesus. When we take our last breath, our last beat, our spirit, our soul goes straight to be with Jesus. And then one day when Jesus returns, he will raise the dead and our soul will be reunited with a glorious, perfect resurrection body. Let me close with that promise from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Do you? Do you believe with all your being that Jesus died and rose again? Do you believe that he died for you and rose for you? We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with a voice of the archangel, and with a trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And I want to encourage you with those words. Where is Jairus? Where is the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years? They're with Jesus now. Their souls and their spirits were with Jesus. When Jesus returns, he will raise their bodies from the dead. Will that be your experience too when Jesus returns?